Well, hey, church. I'm Jeff, otherwise known as Joe, but people call me Pastor Fred. So if you don't know why that's funny, you weren't here last week, and now we know who you are. So, hey, just a couple of things before we get into the message uh, tonight. Uh, we uh, had some RCers representing the City Life Church at an area talent show last night. Come on. So... Claire was there, and also jazz and lyric, and so there was some singing, there was some spoken word, so I'm going to give these to Pastor David. Uh, these are iTunes gift cards. He's going to make sure that they get those, so come on. So if you've not been onto Facebook, then you should go on, uh, find those pages. that You can get to them for the mind. You can get to them through the slaughters. Uh, their girls were there, and, uh, and go on there and encourage those young girls. Come on about putting their gifts to work for the kingdoms. We're going to be talking about that in this, in this series. So t- tonight's a welcome weekend for us as a church. And, and, and what that means is it's, it's a message that is set aside to talk about who we are. It's a message that's set aside to talk about what's important to us. And we're going to be in it tonight. Uh, then we're going to push the pause button. We're going to, I've got a Father's Day message for uh, uh, next weekend, God willing, a shortened message, according to Pastor Vanessa, and, uh, which I think maybe there was something else in her cascara. Maybe we should check her drink, right? She was a little rowdy tonight. And then we're going to come back into, back into uh, our welcome weekend messages uh, coming in uh, out, of, out of June. Then we're going to be on vacation the first couple of weeks of July, and then while we're gone, Pastor David's going to be preaching, and also, come on, and also Chris House is going to be preaching. Come on, I know. And then when we come out of July, we're going to be in a new series coming out of July that's going to take us through August. It's called An Open Heaven. Uh, I don't know what that's going to be. I just know that's the name of it. That's what God's given me so far. And so I'm excited to see what he's going to speak to our hearts. So, hey, we got some guests in the house too. Uh, Pastor Philip Watkins and his team. Philip, you want to raise your hand? Come on. They are with Awaken Church down in Virginia Beach, but Philip is a lifelong friend of mine, and you might recognize his name because he's on the Praxis booklet. That's such an important part of who we are here. And so if that Praxis booklet has meant something to you, I hope you find them uh, at the end of the service and, uh, and give Philip a, uh, a big hug. And so uh, we're excited to have you here. So if you're looking for a church in Virginia Beach, come on, you need to talk to them at the end of the service because I know they're doing some good things over there. Awaken Church, Virginia Beach. Every church needs to have at least these three things. You got to have a message, you got to have a a mission, and you got to have a moment. You got to have a message, a mission, and a moment. I believe that those three things really work together to create what a church calls its vision its message, its mission, and its moment. Our message, if you've been with us for any amount of time, is a very simple phrase, heaven now, heaven forever. That first H is a lowercase h because it's talking about our experience with God in the here and now. And then that second heaven is the capital H. And that's the one that many of us in Vacation Bible School, right, that we grew up thinking and hoping for. But if you're like me, you grew up introduced to a Christianity that was really about deferred gratification. It meant that if you want the capital H heaven, then then you've got to be willing to give up the things that are worth doing here in order to get the heaven that's there. But we don't believe that. We don't believe that's what the Bible teaches. That's why Jesus in John 10.10 said he came to give us life and to give us life to the fullest possible measure. And that's about the here and now. Psalm 27.13, I would have lost heart if I had not believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. 
We teach and have a message of heaven now, heaven forever, because we believe that every no of God is to protect us from mediocrity, that there is no greater adventure than you can have as a life fully devoted to Jesus Christ. Heaven now, heaven forever. That's our message as a church, and it's been our message for many years. I'm going to skip mission because that's where we're going to be spending this Welcome Weekend series, and I want to talk about our moment. Our, our moment is that your family from the first hello. That's our moment. We, we want to be one of the most welcoming churches in the 757. Are there other churches that are welcoming? Absolutely. And we celebrate those churches too. But we want this church to not ever be outpaced as welcoming in this region. The reason that's important to us is not because we're trying to build this church. It's because people, again, just like our message, grow up with a false idea of who God is. They, they've only been exposed to a God that is a God of rejection. They've only ever been exposed to a God who, who they believe is angry at them for all the mistakes that they've made. We believe that God loves us with an indescribable love. Does our sin break his heart? Absolutely it does. But it doesn't cause him to run from us. It only causes him to run towards us all the more. We want to be a welcoming church because we know that for some people, that's their first glimpse of the heart of God. We want them to be welcomed by a smiling face, an outstretched hand, a hug, whether it violates their personal space or not. This is who we are here at the City Life Church. Your family from the first hello. That's our moment. That's our moment. The first time you come, we hope that that's your first thought. Wow, these people were so welcoming to me. And we have a mission. And that mission is, has kind of, it, it's been shaped and molded over these last 11 years. But really, if you were with us in February, you know that God is really bringing some clarity to us for who we are as a church in regards to our mission. And we introduced these three words, encounter, embrace, and engage to you. And th this is our mission as we're beginning to understand it. We are committed to being a church where people encounter God's presence, embrace God's family, and engage God's mission. Let me read that again. We are committed to being a church where people encounter God's presence, embrace God's family, and engage God's mission. We are positional, we are relational, and we are sacrificial. Sacrificial. Wow, I just made up a new word. That's part of your ordination. If you've not made up at least five new words, you can't be ordained as a pastor. Sacrificial. There's, I know, that's a good one. You're supposed to say, come on, that's... A Thank you. There you go. You're learning. You're learning. You're like, man, that guy, Jeff, he can preach. He can preach. From his presence, with his family, toward his mission. From his presence, with his family, toward his mission. Father, we pray for the people that are here tonight that are trying to make some decisions about the church that they're supposed to call home. And if, if you've called them to be a part of the City Life Church, Father, we pray that you would just give their heart the sense of liberty that they're looking for to be all in here with us. But if it's not here, God, what we pray is that they're going to find their church home somewhere. That you don't want them to live their life as a spiritual orphan. That They were born into this world for a relationship with you, but also a relationship with your family. You want them to know your presence, but you also want them to know your people. Because there is a mission that you've called them to and they're never going to be able to do it by themselves. In Jesus' name, come on everybody said.
Amen. Hey, I do want to just a quick note uh, here. If you are uh, asking the question, who is City Life and what is City Life about? If you're visiting with us and you're looking for that next step, we've put together a packet for you. They're in the lobby area as you exit here, the sanctuary, and then they're also uh, the lobby area outside of the cafe. And so if you've been visiting for any amount of time and you're asking the question, is City Life the church that I'm supposed to call home? You need to grab one of these packets on your way out and they're going to be available for the next few weeks. Somebody say encountering. encountering encountering God's presence city life is a place where we are intentionally positional intentionally positional spiritually posturing ourselves in settings to encounter God's presence let me read that again city life is a place where we are intentionally positional spiritually posturing ourselves in settings to encounter God's presence. If you've got your Bible, you can turn there. If it's on your phone, then you can flip there. We're going to be in Mark chapter 10 for a little while. Mark chapter 10. And I'm going to read out of verse 1 to just kind of set the stage a little bit for this idea of encountering God's presence. But then the bulk of our time, we're going to jump down to verse 17 with a story that many of you are familiar with of the rich young ruler. But let me just, let me, let me read this first verse. It says, then Jesus left Capernaum and went down to the region of Judea into the areas and into the areas east of the Jordan River. Once again, the crowds gathered around him as usual as he was teaching them. Now, the, the, the crowds were enormous for Jesus at this stage in his life because he's just weeks away from his death and resurrection. So he's got three years of ministry. So all or most of the, the, the famous miracles, that there's a few more there at the end is leading up to the triumphant entry, but most of the miracles that you have grown up about reading about, he's done all of them. Jesus is an incredibly popular figure. That's why the triumphant entry was even possible because of his fame that he's garnered over the last three years. So this is his last trip through Israel, and he's on his way. He knows that he's going to die for the sins of the world. Now, it's interesting, the New Living Translation, which is one of the reasons why I like it, it provides you some commentary to explain things that might be confusing, confusing in other translations. Because in some translations, they render this text that as he left Capernaum, he entered in, in Judea as he crossed over the Jordan. Now, if you're familiar with the geography of the Middle East, you would read that statement and you would say that's a little bit perplexing because Capernaum is up in Galilee and then you've got Samaria and then you've got Judea down here. These are regions of Israel in the first century and Jerusalem is in Judea and, and you would not cross the Jordan River to get there. If you're leaving Capernaum in Galilee, you would pass through Samaria. It's a straight shot all the way to Jerusalem. If the Bible were written today, what it would be saying is as they left Newport News, they entered into Richmond through Hopewell as they crossed the James River. And you would say, that person's GPS did something to them very wrong, right? Because it's a straight shot. If you're going to Richmond, you're leaving here, you're getting on 64, and you're, it's a straight shot all the way there. It's a straight shot for Capernaum to Jerusalem. Why did Jesus cross over into the other region, which is called Perea, which is the only thing that he could have done if the Bible is true, which we believe that it is. So when it says that he crossed the Jordan to get into Jerusalem from leaving Capernaum, which is up in Galilee, it, mean that he, it meant that he had to go into the region of Perea. Why would he do that? I believe that because as Jesus was entering into Jerusalem, he was trying to create a prophetic picture of the fulfillment of what it was when the Israelites entered into the promised land. 
because that's the same route that they would have taken. Not from top to bottom, but as they came out of Egypt, now which is down here, right? They wandered in the wilderness, but they came into Israel through the southern part of Perea because just over the Jordan River is where Jericho is. I think that as Jesus was entering in Jerusalem for the last time in his physical body, right, that he wanted to create a picture of the fulfillment of what the Old Testament had been talking about for centuries. That the promised land isn't something that's geographical, it's spiritual. He wanted us to see that he was about ready to fight the ultimate battle of sin and death and he was gonna take possession of a land that's promised to you and me and that land is called eternal life and it's called heaven now, heaven forever. He's crossing over the Jordan. He's on his way to Jerusalem. And he wants you to know that there is something for you that he's fighting for that's going to be the greatest adventure that you could ever have. He wants you to know that it's the promised land because it's the greatest promise that you could ever live for is the destiny that he created you to have. He wants you to see life as a devoted follower of Christ, not as something that you're obligated to, but something that you're promised for. There's a difference in your heart, right, when you do something out of a promise instead of an obligation. And he's creating this incredible prophetic imagery for the salvation that he's about ready to make possible as he redeems the world, reconciles us to God, reconciles us to one another, that he wants us to see that this promise that he has for us called eternal life is a land that you want to live in both now and forever. So we jump down to Mark 10. In verse 17, there's an exchange that, that, that he has on this journey in the beginning of Mark chapter 10 about marriage. And then there's the famous story about where the disciples are chasing away the children. And Jesus says, no, let the children come to me. And so there's that dialogue. And, and, and this is important to us because what you begin to realize is that Jesus has been here teaching for quite a while. So when you get to verse 17, it says, as Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, meaning that he's still trying to make his way there, he's stopped, he's held this big conference, that's really what he's doing, crowds are gathered, he's teaching, he's proclaiming the good news, he only has weeks left. It says that there was a man that started, that, that came running up to him. Listen to this, a man came running up to him and knelt down and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Verse 18, why do you call me good, Jesus asked, only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments, you must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely, you must not cheat anyone, you must honor your father and your mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. For there is still one thing that you haven't done. He told him, go and sell your possessions and give the money to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell. And as he went away sad, for he had many possessions. It's interesting to me the timing of his approach to Christ. He runs up to him on his way out. Now, I think that detail is important because I think God's giving us some insight into the heart of this kind of person. 
It's the kind of person that wants something from God, but he's trying to catch Jesus when he thinks that Jesus isn't going to have much time for him because he doesn't have much time for him either. It's as if he's coming and he wants something from Christ, but he's timed his approach. He's been in the crowd. He's been waiting. He's heard, heard Jesus teaching. The expectation is that Jesus would have ministered to many people in the crowd, even though the text doesn't say that. That's what Jesus did. And I think that this man comes running after Christ as Christ is leaving because he really doesn't want to spend that much time with him after all. And part of my question to you is, is that how you treat Jesus today? Do you show up late and leave early on Saturdays? Do you rush into your morning devotions or your evening devotions or whatever time of the day you're setting aside to encounter God? Are you showing up a little late and are you leaving a little early? How about with our giving? Oh, come on. Are we showing up a little late, leaving a little early? Think about all the things that we teach as pathways for our journey as devoted followers of Christ And ask yourself the question, am I the rich young ruler? I know I need something from God, but I'm measured in how much time I spend with him. And what Jesus goes on to demonstrate for us in this text and in this journey and in this story is that what this man really needs is a complete and total reprioritization of his value system. He's asked him some questions, and he says, I've done all those things. I'm keeping the commandments. And then God lays the big one on him, right? What about all of this wealth do you have? Do you value those things more than me? I love how Jesus just jumped right to the heart of the matter. And we know that Jesus knew what his response was going to be, which means that he knew that he was going to walk away. And I think the reason why we're given this story is because as you continue reading in the text, the disciples, they come to Jesus and say, hey, this is really hard what you're saying. This is the part where Jesus says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter into heaven. And they say, well, then who can be saved? And this is where Jesus makes this incredible declaration. With man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Now, why is that statement attached to this story? Because that could have been attached to any teaching, but he connects it to this one. And I think the reason why he connects it to this one is that he's saying, this is you and I in our journey throughout life is that you and I come to God with a value system that's important to us. There is a prioritization of things that matter to us. Our identity is connected to those things. And so many times as we come to Christ, really what we need is for all of those values to get reshuffled and turned around. It's like what we talked about last week. Some of those things need to be uprooted. Some things need to be planted. Some things need to be reorganized. And can can I just tell you, You will never surrender your value system to God until you have spent time in his presence. 
See, the lesson that we take from the rich young ruler is that he wasn't willing to spend the kind of time necessary for him to begin to value what Jesus values over what he values. And the only way that we can make that transition is by time in his presence. There has to be a practice of encountering God's presence. It's one of the reasons why being a positional church is so important to us. It's one of the reasons why we posture ourselves and worship like we do. And we're going to talk about some other pathways. I'm going to give you three that I want you to start to practice. But you and I need to be in God's presence, not showing up late, not leaving early, because you and I, just like the rich young ruler, our value system can get askew. And the only way that we're ever truly going to be successful and whatever mission he has for us, which we're going to get to that in a few weeks, is if you love what he loves, you've got to value what he values. When Jesus asks him to sell everything and give to the poor, he's not establishing a practice, he's giving us perspective. It doesn't mean that every person who comes to Christ has to be willing to sell everything they have and give to the poor. It's not about a practice, it's about a perspective. It's the perspective of living your life, willing to let Jesus define your values. Jesus said, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also, because he knows your value dictates your identity. And Jesus wants to give you your identity, and he does it by showing you the things that should be important to you. A supernatural encounter. It's what you and I are desperate for. The less time we spend waiting for an encounter with God's presence, the less we will love what he loves. The less time we spend waiting for an encounter with God's presence, the less we will love what he loves. Luke 15. Let's jump over to Luke 15. Matthew, Mark, Luke, if you're thumbing through your Bible, just keep going to your right and you're going to get there. Luke 15. Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And when he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Verse 8, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors and say, rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin in the same way. There is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. Now this is another sermon for another time. And then there's right there's the, the, the story that comes after the parable of the prodigal son. These are also stories about how people get lost. Right? The sheep wanders away. But a coin, a coin doesn't wander. A coin gets misplaced. A coin gets neglected. 
See, some people that are lost in our world that are spiritually lost, it's because they're like the sheep that are wandering away from the things that they know that are true. But most people, I would say, they're like the coin. They're lost because they've been misplaced. They've been hurt. They've been disappointed by others. You and I, I think we have a tendency, right, to measure our passion on whether or not we're going to pursue people based on their predicament and how they got there. I know I do. Maybe I'll just talk about myself. Fred has a tendency, right? I'm more inclined to have compassion for the coin because I know it's not the coin's fault. But I judge the sheep because that's on them. Don't you love how in this story, Jesus' passion is no different for one than the other? He goes after all of them because the lost matter to God. Jesus is using real-life scenarios for the first century to try to teach people about God's value system. He's trying to say to people, if you're going to love me, if you're going to live for me, if you're going to be one of my children, you have got to learn to love what I love and love how I love. And you've got to let me come in and turn your life upside down if that's what it takes. And the reason why he uses these real life scenarios is because what he's really saying to people is, I know you can do it because you do it here. I just want you to take this and apply it to there. You care for your material possessions this way. You value that. That's what he's saying. Now I want you to value people that are spiritually lost with the same passion. There is a profit to be gained for the shepherd who finds the sheep. There is a profit to be gained by the woman who loses the coin. Sometimes we're not passionate about the things that God is passionate about because we don't see our own benefit in it. And he says to you and he says to me, you've got to stop looking at life through that lens. Selfishness is part of the curse and the plague of humanity and that's one of the things that he desperately wants to heal us of because he's got to get us to a place where we value what he values. The only way that you and I are going to value what he values is by spending time in his presence. Spending time in his presence, it changes us. It transforms us. It's one of the reasons why as a church we are intentionally positional. We want to teach you how to have encounters with a living God. We're going to show you how to do it when we gather here on Saturdays. Not just to inspire you to come back and do it again with us on Saturday next weekend, but so that also you can do it on your own. Sunday through Friday. There's a corporate encounter with God's presence that you and I are desperate for, and then there is an individual encounter with God's presence that you and I are desperate for. So much of Jesus' own life was spent both in public and in private encountering God. And if he was divine and he needed both, how much more do we? you got to have both. And for many of you, this idea of how to be awakened to the abiding presence of God is foreign to you, And so that's one of the reasons why community is of so much value to us because we learn from one another. Pathways are personality transcendent. Pathways are personality 
transcend it. If you don't know what Pathways are, it's a free gift for you. It's the little green booklet called Praxis. You can see someone in a blue shirt. If you're visiting with us, it's a, we, we, we give those things away. We want you to have one. Many people call them spiritual disciplines. We call them pathways because they take you somewhere. And when you begin to look at that list, what we want you to understand is that they are personality transcendent. For example, worship. You might say, well, I'm not into music. I get you. I, I can't sing. Come sit over here one Saturday. He'll be like, yeah, he's telling the truth. He's telling the truth. I can't play an instrument. I can't. I can't dance. I want to, but I can't. I'm what you call painfully white. I'm just, that's what I am. That's what I am. Ask Chris Allison, Pastor David, we joke about it all the time. I can't help it. This is who I am. When you see me worshiping, you might be thinking, I'm not sure if he's dancing or if he's just got to go pee, right? <laughs> the story of the widow's might isn't just about the money. It's about your life. We bring what we've got, and we also bring what we don't have to those moments. There's a lot that I don't have for worship. There's a lot that I don't have that other people in this room have, and you might be just like me, but you know what? We're the widow's might. I bring my worship not because my gift is grand, but because my God is glorious. Right? I cannot sing. I cannot dance. I cannot, and my list is long. But I am going to abandon myself and worship every opportunity that I have because he is worthy of all the praise and this is what I know. I am desperate. All right, if you're going to clap, clap. There you go. My life is desperate for an encounter with his presence. In pathways, they do many things for us, but this is one of the things that pathways do. They awaken me to the presence of a living God. You've got to find your worship in here on Saturday nights if you have any hope of finding it out there by yourself. I'm just telling you. If you're not willing to be conspicuous, then you're not ever going to be willing to be private. There's a reason why so many encounters that Jesus had with people were in public because people need to love him more than we love the eyes of the people that are around us. Worship is a way that we intentionally position ourselves to encounter the presence of a living God. Let's talk about scripture. You might say, well, I'm not a big reader. I get it. I get it. You don't have to read any other book for the rest of your life. But this book right here, this book was written by God. It was written by him. And most of you that don't read this book, you believe that. It's crazy, isn't it? You believe that this book was given to us by God, but yet you still don't open it. Right? At some point, right, this is my own journey. This was my own journey when I was 23. When God was asking me my questions, when I was far from him, when, do you believe that Jesus is who he says he is? And my answer to that was yes. His next question was to me, well, don't you think you ought to take the time to read what he had to say? Yes, I should. Because I believe this is from you. If I believe that there is a book in this world that is of a divine origin, how can I not read it? How? Because our value system is askew. You spend time in his presence, he will begin to change what you value. And you will begin to value this whether you are a reader or not. 
He's not trying to make you a reader, but he is trying to make you a disciple. He is trying to make you a child of God. And you're not going to get there without these things. And you're not going to get there until you begin to let him get a hold of your value system. And as you let him get a hold of your value system, you will be shocked at the things that you begin to love. It doesn't mean that you're ever going to love reading like other people love reading, but you got to at least get to the place where you love to read this one, where you love to read this one, the pathways or personality transcendent. How about prayer? You might say, well, I'm not a big talker. You might say, well, I don't really have a lot to say. That's, that's okay. That's okay. But if this book that you believe is of divine origin says that God wants to have a conversation with you, I'm just asking you the question. I'm just asking you the question. Shouldn't you find some words for him? Shouldn't you find some words for him? I'm a naturally introverted person. I know when I tell people that, that surprises them, right? I don't want to talk to people for two days after Saturday night, right? <laughs> this is a lot of words for me, and this is a lot of human interaction, right? So I, I rejuvenate by, by time alone, by time by myself. This journey that we're on, God gave you the personality you have for the purpose that he created you for, but he certainly did not give us the personalities that we have as excuses to not do the things that we must do in order to become the person we need to become for the destiny that he called and created me for. So even if you are a naturally introverted person, right, we're going to be talking about this in a couple of weeks, you got to find some words for, for people, right? He's not trying to make you an extrovert, but we're going to talk about embracing God's family in the next message in this Welcome Weekend series. But I'm just saying to you tonight, you've, you've got to find a conversation with God. You've got to find your prayer voice. You've got to be willing to talk with him. You've got to be willing to share with him what you're thinking about and what you're feeling. And you might say, well, he's the creator of the universe. He's got a lot to do. But yet this book tells us the most important thing of his doing is us. It's us. We're going to get to that when we get to our mission. Because our mission is his mission. And his mission is ultimately one thing. And that's to fill heaven with people. If you would say to me tonight, Fred... This idea of encountering a, a living God, it's new for me. And what I would say to you, it's new for everybody at first. It is. And that's why God is so specific in giving us the things that we can begin to practice in order to have those encounters. If you begin to step in to moments of worship, if you begin to open up this book, if you begin to find your prayer voice and talk with God about the stuff that's going on in your life, I am telling you, you are going to begin to experience the presence of a supernatural living God who loves you with an indescribable love. And you and I are desperate for that encounter because the same problem the rich young ruler had, you and I have. That there are things in our lives that are impossible for us, but all things are possible for him. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. We've got time for a couple of songs that we're going to go into because we want you to have an opportunity to encounter his presence tonight.
And as they come, I want to share this verse with you. This is out of Revelation chapter 4. This is a, a powerful chapter in the Bible because it gives us a glimpse of the heaven with a capital H. And it, and it gives the most incredible picture of the place that hopefully that you're on your way to because you've made a vow of devotion to Christ. And it talks about these creatures that are surrounding the throne. And it talks about these songs that they're singing. And one of the songs, listen to this, it says, You are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and they exist because you created what you please. I like the King James, it says, that the, the And for thy pleasure they are and were created. Now, I find this list curious because I think we understand a little bit about this idea that we worship because of God's glory, and we worship because God deserves honor. But how do you give power to somebody who's all-powerful? It's curious, isn't it? You're worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. Why is that in there? Because God never kicks down the door of your heart. This idea of giving God power means that you're willing to surrender to him in such a way where because of his glory and because of the honor that he deserves is that you're willing to give him power over your life. And you're the only person that can give it to him. Stand with me. Father, I pray as we step into this, these moments of worship with these couple of songs that we're going to use to position our lives to have an encounter with you, a living God. I pray for the person that's in here tonight that's never taken the step of giving you power over their life. Some people call it being saved. Some people call it being born again. And Father, you know the phrase that you've given us is a vow of devotion to Christ. So for the person that's here tonight that needs to give you power over their life, I pray that as we sing these songs, God, that they would find the words that, Holy Spirit, you would give them to make a vow of devotion to your Son and our Savior. Let's worship together.